this is yeah, Joe. Welcome to our yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but seriously though, you're training for World Cups. Why is it you want to race World Cups now? Um, that guy called Aaron Green. I need to beat that guy. Uh, I mean, it's been too long that he's winning every contest and every race. So someone, some, someone gonna beat him. Welcome to the Until Sunset podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Osborne. Join us on location with the world's best riders and the Antiel Films crew to explore the moments we capture from sunrise to sunset. Oh, this is nice. Let me know when you're ready. Fun though, fast. Fast. Hey, our dog. Anytime. Hey, man, it's Sunday. That was awesome. There's something addicting about a mountain bike. Oh! That's the best. So for part two of this podcast, we'll meet up with Tommy G in Switzerland to work on a new video piece for the Lenzerheide Bike Park, which is called Bike Kingdom. It's about nine months after filming in Hawaii with Thomas. And before that, we were actually here in Lenzerheide in 2018 by chance filming the Switzerland section in Return to Earth with Ronnie Kadoff and Sandro Schmidt. We also met up with Tommy then to film in Zurich at the NT Dirt Jumps in the City. Lenzerheide hosted the UCI Mountain Bike World Cup in 2018 and 2019, so it's already on the map for a lot of riders. We wanted to have a bit of fun with this and getting to know Tommy in Hawaii. We knew he was going to be game for just about anything we threw at him. We got an explosives expert in and we got Tommy to ride through a berm being blown up. We attached him to a complicated pulley system. We tried to assist him in unrealistic nose manual requests. We made him ride on a floating underwater barge into a freezing cold lake, even though he hates water. And wow, what a trip it turned out to be. At some point, we got held up by some land technicalities, so I got a bit of time to chat to Thomas. We are in our rental house where the whole crew is staying, looking out of the Swiss Alps. In the background, you can hear the herds of cows walking around with bells around their necks. And there's a church bell two houses over from us that keeps everyone awake at night. It's still early in the video, so I start asking him about how he feels about all the things we're expecting him to do. Have you ridden much in Switzerland before? Yeah, around Zurich, for dirt jumps, uh, the skills park, so that over the winter, and in the summer, sometime DH. And any bike parks in Switzerland? Well, um, in Bienne or in Neuchâtel, that's French part of Switzerland, there's like, uh, you know, these train that goes up and down. You just take a ticket and then the train is going all year up and down, up and down. So and just downhill. So it's not really bike parks, but it's like it's many places like this. You just show up, pay your ticket, go up, ride down, and then go home. It's not really a bike park with chairlift and yeah. Okay, and uh, but is this your first time riding in Lenzerheide or? No, I rode for the scout. The scout was my first day back on the bike. Yeah. That was your first day back on the bike? Yeah, when we came here. Okay. Probably like two months ago. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, 
and the writing that you've done here? What do you think of it so far? It's good. I think it needs to be improved. The backpack needs to be improved, but that's what they're working on. But so far, it's good. Like the trails are really fun on the on the trail bike, and it's a few cool stuff to do on the DH too. Uh, well, I had fun until now. I'm not bored. Okay, so we're out here, obviously, to film our piece for Lenzahida. Yeah. Um, we've got a few different segments in it. First one is the secret spot. <laughs> well, these trails were very hard to ride. I feel like not every rider would enjoy these trails. It's like very rocky and slow and technical. That's really not my taste. But uh, lower down, once you pass these trails, it's just like you go fast and place is amazing so i don't know kind of kind of fun to ride that too what do you if you're going out to ride some trail bike riding what do you look for um i'm looking for playful stuff uh when we went to the other side and we did that trail on the top a few times and then i rode down by myself that was super fun like there were many different ways of riding the trail it was just not like one trail, it was like a lot of walking trails that you could like take one from the other, do a small transfer, little bunny up, then ride in the grass. I enjoyed that and then lower that is some loamy loamy section. Well I was discovering them so it was kinda of slow but still super fun. Okay, so the first thing we shot here was the blowing up berms. Yeah. How's that? That was fun. That was fun. The the berm started to kind of get used and lose. And the more I rode it, and the more fun the the berm was. And uh, I mean, to me, it was fun because um, I was pretty much just focusing on blowing up a berm, like trying to look good in one left berm. And sometimes, it, I mean, a left turn is easy to take but it's very hard to make it look good or look different at least so uh, i did enjoy that like all the process from me just turning like a uh, amateur and then to get the last shot where everybody was talking yeah yeah it was pretty cool what do you think about having the explosives there yeah 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 <laughs> well i expected myself to be hurt but at the end it was just uh air so you expected to get hurt, but you still signed up for it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then we also did the riding on the moon. Yeah, riding on the moon, that was the first two days. Yeah. That section we did uh, was very fun. The first day was more kind of like showing the place, so I didn't have much to do. I was just sitting on my bike, standing, and yeah, much easier, but still looked amazing was it easier to ride just easier to air and stuff up there yeah um on the moon well it was not that easy because it's full of rocks and that's totally not the place you want to have a flat yeah yeah so uh did you take any spare tubes up to the moon with you uh, i think i had one yeah was it tough to get there to get there yeah the journey up uh, no, not tough, but there I realized that it's very hard to be uh, active. I did like two run, two runs, and I was 
it was it was hard to hike up. Yeah. Yeah. Why why do you think it's so hard to hike up there? Just heavy and just high. Yeah, it is pretty high up the moon. How did you find breathing whenever you were up there? Well, it seems to be fine, but when you ride, it's hard. I mean, when you stop, you're like, it was a hard, hard one, yeah. Yeah, lack of lack of oxygen, I think, just because it's so high up, right? Yeah. There's not much oxygen there. And I mean, it's the moon. It's the moon, yeah. Not many people have been there. It's true. Pretty cool to send a mountain biker up there. And uh, I've heard for this section, you wanted to ride on water. Ride on water, yeah, but people are worried about it, but I rode on water when I was 12 already, so there's no problem. Is there any special bike setup, anything you need to put on the bike to help you? No, you just got to be confident. Oh. Yeah. It's all about confidence. You just come in with speed, or what is, do you pedal on it? No, you... not really. I could start on the water and just start... Stop pedaling, but just need to be confident that you're gonna ride on the water. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. serious, I fucking hate water. <laughs> no, I. If I gotta go in that water, this is going to be the worst day of the of the year for sure. So you're gonna try and actually. Yeah, yeah. No crash, no crash. I'm I'm gonna go ride, and make it as good as possible. And this is going to be one take. Like I'm very very easy to work with. I feel like when I when I'm shooting, I can do things more, and I'm always happy to do a different take and a different angle. But riding on water is going to be one take. One take. Yeah. Get it right. Pressure on the filmers. Yeah. And on the audio guy. And on the sound guy. Oh yeah. But you know you have to ride right to the end of that column, that floating column. So you're gonna end up in the water. You're going to end up in the water the furthest away you can be. Is there not another side of that? I don't think so. So there's no way I don't get in the water? Correct. Fuck, it's like minus six here. It's pretty cold. I mean, maybe maybe it will connect to another part of the island, but that's going to be a pretty long underwater bridge. Why don't they do it where we can connect it? We might. I don't know exactly where it's going to be. What is your uh, your manualing like? My what? Manuals. Oh, my manuals for... Like, I wonder when and where I want to do that manual because I know I suck at manual. And it's probably not one take. So uh, it could work first try. And then they would be like, yeah, let's do five more. Can't do manuals. Like, that's still my lowest skills on the bike is manual. And then after that is riding skinnies. <laughs> or maybe skinnies first and then and then manuals what's the longest manual you've done well sometimes it works some days I'm good at manuals I'm like holy shit like okay that's it's gone I, I finally learned them but uh, yeah the next day it doesn't work anymore I feel like if I give my bike to the to one of you guys probably have more chance to get that shot let's see have you been practicing your, your nose manuals? No, not at all. you think that's going to be tough doing a... Does it want me to do a nose manual? Yeah. I cannot do nose manual at all. What's well, part maybe, of the script? Yeah. Well, maybe on a BMX on flat, I could potentially do a, a nose manual. But like a stoppy with my front brake, never did that. So you have to learn pretty quick. I think you have nose manual over some whips. 
Uh, well, yeah, I guess it would change the script. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that you were training for World Cups. That's right. You're thinking about taking on World Cups? Yeah. I mean, going fast is, is easy, right? You just don't touch the brake and hold on. Uh, well, I started riding by racing, so... I did? Yeah. I raced the uh, Dura Slalom and then DH for a few years. So uh, I still had a little bit of that, but I think I'm good at making making it look like I'm fast, you know? Yeah. Like taking some good position on the bike, making it look like I'm a racer and dress like a racer. But, uh, yeah. What are your tips for that, for people that want to get like a photo of them looking like they're going fast? Well... Head under the handlebar. Head under the handlebar. Yeah, like that. For everything. Even the roots. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start riding dual slalom? How old were you? Oh, I was I was eight when I started competing dual slalom until my thirteen. And then I started when I raised DH from my 11 or 10 until my 13. Huh. And then you transitioned into BMX, riding dirt and park. Well, it was kind of all in the same time. Like I was like racing downhill, doing these kids' trophy, and then also in the same time racing Dual Slalom. When was your first slope style event? Oh, and I was German. FMB, uh, Bergline, so that's the place. But back when I was 13, I think, 13 or 14, there was like uh, the cut slope style from Cannondale. Uh, and I tried to compete in that. I crashed after three jumps, obviously. Um, and then, fuck, I remember going on a step up, step down after rain on my only and first run and didn't realize that wood is slippery with rain and breaks on it. <laughs> like completely break on it, slip, slide the whole way down and then fell off. Whenever you were competing in those like really early slope style stuff, what tricks were you, like what were you, what was your big tricks that you were aiming for? Well, I was from a racing background. So I feel like I could jump everything more than the rest of the people. But I had no like rotation tricks. I, I could do suicide, no handers, no foot cans, hitting the big drops because that's all I could do. And then uh, when BMX came, slowly got my rotation, tail whips, bar spin. Wow, that's interesting. You had to like work on the the rotations that that was. Yeah, well, that the 360 or a backflip was a big thing. If, when you were 14 in like amateur class yeah. if you could do like winning amateur was pretty much like a flip a tree and a tail whip and just riding so i uh, couldn't flip couldn't tree couldn't tail whip and then but a few years after i was i think at 14 i learned like bar spin tail whips and like jumping bug jumps 360s and backflip came a lot later but I think I could do double whips before I could do backflips because there were not uh, a form pit to try and I was fucking scared of flips and 
Do you remember pulling off your first flip? Backflips were like my my nightmare because uh, once I saw in a magazine that we had a, a front pit in Belgium. Obviously, the next day I asked my dad to go and the goal was just learning backflips. Went there and tried, but I think I was 11 and I got hurt very bad in that front pit. And uh, not, not like I didn't get injured, but when you're 11, you got like I think I was traumatized from the flip. And then from 11 to 16, couldn't even do like one degrees. Really? Back, yeah. What happened in on the foam? Just that you. Were well, I think I did almost the full rotation, but without really looking back, so I didn't know where I was. It was in the dark, dark skate park, dark room. Like the lights were not that bright, so I didn't see shit. And then I just, yeah, just landed, getting like cocky in my bar, and then, no, that was painful. I remember, I, I remember that day because it was traumatized from flips. And it's still not my thing. And then at 16, I think, um, a friend who actually couldn't really flip teach me how to flip by by like nine steps, you know, like nine landing. Step to back yeah, flips. yeah, that was like landing on your ass, on your back, on your back again, a few times until you feel confident, a little bit more, landing on your shoulder, then just pass that point. And once you pass that point, then yeah, I think I just I was a little bit stronger and bigger and could jump off my bike and then once more and landed it. And it's funny because these steps, it's kind of how I learned flip flat drops after. I did exactly the same. Like most of the riders, just like send it and see how it is. And I went from I think it was 2015 or 14, 15, landed on my ass once, back, shoulder, jump off the bike once, and then. Oh. Yeah. Flat drop flips, that's in the foam. Yeah, yeah, in the yeah. foam, yeah. How do you pick your, for the start of Crankworks, how do you pick out what you want to do on each? Well, I kind of learn a lot in that, like what to do, where, and what's important to do. And uh, always trying to stay in my style of writing because I, I feel like I have a little bit different tricks because I don't do flips so much, but I do rotation tricks which is super weird because usually you need to be good at flips before you do like switch cork seven or cash horse or, but I don't really do tricks and backflips. I find it feels better to me to do a switch seven than a, like I never did a flip double bar spin, which is like the, the most, like the trick that everybody does. Yeah, but I learned how to cash roll X up or switch <laughs> seven. I don't know why, but yeah, like like a cash roll to me feels so much better than what else than a front flip. Like I used to do front flip tucks in all my runs, and then quit doing front flips, and now I can do like cash roll X ups, and like it feels way better to do a cash roll for me. Oh, not exactly exactly sure why, but I feel like because. Flips and front flips are not that hard, and you just gotta pull and wait. And there's nothing very, very technical about it. But learning how to cash roll very consistent, this is hard, kinda. Yeah. 
to be consistent in a rotation that no one is doing exactly the same rotation. You mean so each, like if someone's doing a cash roll, every time they do it, their rotation, their particular rotation is different? Yeah, I feel like no one could explain me how to cash roll. <laughs> that thing kind of started like, it was windy at the spot we were riding. And I was riding, riding with a friend, my friend Louis Robot, so as to not doing these kind of tricks at all. And we were with uh, Antoine Bizet, French guy that, well, cash horses. It's his thing, like he could do cash horse both ways three or four years ago already. And it was like, okay, well, let's learn something stupid. And okay, Bizet teach, uh, teach us how to cash horse. And uh, we teach you how to, I don't know, like double whip, I think it was. Like some technical tricks for, for him. And uh, I don't know, I just... I got mad because I couldn't understand and no one could explain me exactly what to do for that cash roll. So I just never really quit and kept like filming myself doing cash roll until I had the rotation. I don't know, I didn't know I was good at rotation before I learned how to cash roll because I learned it very fast and now I have them like, I think, very different looking and very safe. I mean, still can crash. I had some bad crash in cash rolls, of, co of course, because it's a big trick. But uh, yeah, how uh, how was it? How was it explained to you the first time? Like, how was the cash roll explained for you to do? To rotate that first cash roll. So that was all these steps, and then I was like, okay, fuck. Now I have the cash roll, but it's not consistent. It's kind of like how I hate the tricks when they like sometimes going that way, sometimes going this way. I don't. I didn't really like it. Yeah. How would you explain to someone how to do a cash roll? So you said it was no one explained it to you or could explain it to you? How would you yeah, explain yeah. It? Now I feel like I can explain, but I, I don't know if people can understand what I'm saying, but well, to me it's you... very clear. It's like, remember these late front flips, like Lander front flip, when you like go like, whoop. Yeah. I rotate that. Okay, so a cash roll is a front flip 360. I go for a late front flip, and by the time I do that first 180, putting my weight from the front of my bike to the back of my bike, because you're rotating the other way, right? So at first you rotate like this, but then it's time to rotate the other way. So you have to change your balance. So I change my balance, and from there it's just a normal flare, like you flare a quarter pipe. So I'm, I'm seeing all, this, all the start of the rotation. Now I see the lip, the landing is here. The only thing I have to do left is a flare. So now it's like, I pop, I see all these things, see the landing, flare, land. Ah, nice when you put it like that, it sounds easy. I'll try one, I'm gonna try it. <laughs> Do you wanna explain your injury? Well, I had a shoulder instability for about a year. So last season started very nice. I got second in Rotorua after having a bad, season because of uh, another injury training back home i dislocated for the first time my left shoulder i think it was at feast later later in the year i had like probably the worst crash i had of my life and i stood up and that shoulder popped out again and uh, from there i felt like my shoulder was not that stable one more time i was having weird dreams about uh, my shoulder popping out and waking up didn't know if it actually popped out or not because I was in pain and uh, act for like 
after that dream, like for like two or three days, like someone who just dislocated his shoulder, then went to the doctor and they said, no, your shoulder is all good. Uh, didn't came out. I don't feel anything. And came out of that doctor and it was, the pain was gone and cork seven that, that same day. <laughs> so I was kind of a mental nightmare for like mid season. And then, Came back strong in Whistler and had no not much pressure riding, and uh, felt like I again did a very good, very good run. Uh, did didn't get the place I was looking for, but honestly didn't really matter. My run was very nice. I did a what place did you get? Fifth, which is probably the worst I did in Whistler when I landed a run. But if I feel like my run was good then I'm already very happy. Went to Rampage, got fifth too, which is totally not bad for a slopestyle rider. And um, and then show up in Rotorua, practice were kind of good, but coming back on big jumps, I always care for my shoulder because I was like, damn it, like if you crash, get a roll, some, some ways that, your shoulder don't come out and yeah, always had that in the back of my head so it was kind of slowing me down from like taking any crashes but which is not bad because then I take it slow and I feel like it's safe so practice went well how did you feel going in for your first run coming to my first run I never felt as confident into my riding and the fact that I was gonna get to the bottom was a solid run like I knew that run was good and I knew I was gonna land it so I felt like I had the least pressure I had on a crank cross run. I mean, very confident. Drop in, first jump, first trick, first run, first contest, switch three tuck on the step down, shoulder out, can't grab the bar, go, go down, stand up, put back my shoulder. And from that time, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this shoulder. I'm getting home, getting a surgery, and doesn't matter for the season, I... Uh, I need this thing to be fixed. So this is the Crankwork slope style in Rotorua in 2019. And it's Thomas Janon's first run. He drops in and his very first trick from the drop is a switch 360 tuck no-hander. He jumps the wooden lip and immediately puts in his reverse rotation for his 360. He tucks the bars in and immediately throws his hands out for his no-hander. His right shoulder dislocates mid-air, and he can't get it back in time to grab his bar. So as he's grabbing his bar, he's hitting the ground at the same time, and by now he's overspun and launched over the front of the bars. He gets tangled up on the bike, and he hits his already dislocated shoulder straight into the dirt. The riders waiting at the top immediately shout out that he's dislocated his shoulder, as straight away he tries to start putting it back into place, and you can see that he's in some serious pain. In Pink Bike's Embedded Episode 5 video, they speak to Thomas right after the crash, and straight away he says that he's going to get surgery, and that means no more riding for now. I need this thing to be fixed, and I didn't really take that as an injury, you know, like you crash, you get hurt, and you did a mistake. I took that as a, like, fixing my body from something that was holding me back. So I am actually less scared riding now and crashing than um, than I was back earlier this year. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Interesting to hear it. And then this year for Crankworks, 
Emil one. Emil, funny guy, eats a lot. I'm not that sure if he's gluten-free, honestly. <laughs> honestly, I don't think he's gluten-free. <laughs> I've seen him eating a lot of different stuff. Yeah, I don't know. And did you see his run? In yeah, Easter? I watched the whole season. The first crankers that I watched was very hard for me to watch. And then I just watched the replay. I can accept the fact that I was not competing and just enjoy the sport. Emil is very impressive and I like the fact that he's bringing always different tricks for different events um, I like it uh, the course in Whistler it got a little bit better a little bit less boring you know a few hips I feel like they could improve that but uh, yeah I mean I kind of knew Emil was gonna win you would have bet on Emil if I had to bet on someone it would be Brad or Emil, but I knew Brad had a lot of pressure for the triple crown, and uh, Emil did not have that pressure and had kind of nothing to lose. So, um, yeah, I wasn't that surprised that Emil won. Yeah, makes sense, I think. Yeah, totally. Especially when you're not gluten free. <laughs> Do you remember how it felt whenever you won Crankworx so early, like when you burst onto the scene? Well, yeah, it felt unreal, but I think I did enjoy more the wins I got later in my career than that one, because it just happened. It's just like, showed up in Whistler and and won the event. I was like, like holy fuck, what's happening? Like, won Whistler, but I did enjoy it a lot, but I feel like the more I work for something and the more I enjoy it, like I... That's interesting. Whenever you came on, you would have been probably one of the few European riders. Yeah, I think Emil just broke that thing of um, the only... Well, I think it was Andrew Lacondegui winning a crank horse, and then it was me. And I think Andrew was back in 2008. I was in 2012, and Emil won. So that's the next European in 2019. So from 12 to 19, no European won a Conquerors. Wow. Yeah, weird, huh? And then now there's a lot, like all of a sudden there seems to be a bit more of a, there's more European riders coming in. This yeah. year for Crankworx at Whistler, Brett was the only Canadian riding. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I feel like Slopestyle is so standard now. Like the way Judge asks us to ride, it's super standard and doesn't leave so much place for creativity. So Europeans get so much better because I feel like the scene here is a lot about front pit, skate parks and like tricks. So uh, yeah, Europeans are always good at that. While uh, Canadians are more like, how to say, they would push the probably push like mountain biking level higher but not being like they don't have all the big tricks like I feel like in Europe we have a lot more riders who are consistent at big tricks because they only ride dirt jump and front pits yeah. compared to like in North America I feel like if you're a good slopestyle rider you're also a good rider in general yeah interesting yeah like most like Brandon Brad Anthony Mazzaris again. They all went to Rampage. They all did good. They all 
they are all able to film their sick parts on the, the DH bikes while European rider kind of don't have the DH bikes. They just don't ride much mountain bike. They ride skate park and front pit and dirt jumps. So when they, as the judges just kind of ask us to be like sending big tricks now and uh, the jumps and the course became very, very easy. It's like straight jumps, straight jumps, straight jumps, no hips, no berms. So I feel like the European scene is much better at doing that. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that actually explains it pretty well. Um, to go back to some of your, like getting into riding, you said something pretty funny the other day, it was pretty interesting, about how you were riding every day and that you had a one-day ban on riding whenever you were younger. Yeah, I did. I never in the last years like many years can't remember a day that I was like okay let's not ride today like there are days that I don't ride because I don't have the choice either I'm traveling or my bikes are broken or there's nothing to ride or it's raining or it's just some other stuff to do but that doesn't happen a lot but I, I never been like let's do something else today I don't need riding like that never happened so if you have the choice where you can ride, you're, you're going to? Oh, yeah, of course. Like, if I can ride, oh, I'm, I'm riding for sure. Like, and then what about whenever you're in school and stuff? How did that impact your schooling? Yeah, so as, as I told you, the rule when, when I was at school that the Monday I didn't ride. Monday you don't ride. That's what my mom said. Uh, just because like they had to drive me to ride the six other days. So I guess that's that's fair. And yeah, when I got out of school, no more reason not to ride Monday. So why would you not ride Monday? Like, what's so special on Monday? <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you about that you might be better at explaining is your hearing issue. What what's that from? And if it's something you want to you want to explain? Well, I had that since I'm born. So. Uh, so I always had to deal with it. I had these, uh, how do you call that? Hearing apparatus? Hearing aid? Yeah, yeah. So I had these when I was young until maybe my 12. But at school, it was very hard to deal with people. And I was not very accepted to be like that. And then I had other problems too. And I was like, okay, I'm done with that. So I think as soon as I can remove them, it kind of like shape my personality different because uh, as I can't hear what people answer me, I can't really ask questions. I can't really interact with people in groups. So, uh, so it would always be me stepping out of the group. Like I did that on purpose just so I don't have the stress of people asking me stuff that I actually don't hear. So yeah. So yeah, it kind of shaped me kind of weird. Like I never been much, like I didn't have much friends at school. I was always by myself because I think it was just much easier to deal with like the fact that I didn't really hear and same like following all the lessons. I didn't hear anything. So I was just like kind of like going to school for my presence because you have to. But then when I went back home, like, I didn't know shit about anything. 
<laughs> so I had to start all over again. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of not, not ideal. And then kind of like early, you know, when you kind of becoming an adult and have to interact with people. And I wasn't really good at that. Like, like I wasn't really good at how to say like communication communication yeah but that was like my that's my weakest point and uh yeah slowly it became like much of a problem and i got these things uh earlier this year and yeah my life is so much different now i can finally watch tv interact with people and uh, i don't have to focus so much on what people are saying i don't have to face someone and look at what he's like look at his face to understand what he's saying you know like pick up a few words here and there and kind of make a sentence out of it yeah so uh yeah life is so much easier now huh. yeah and does it help if you're in groups as well or is it still hard if you're in a group of people yeah yeah i think my personality is not i'm not feeling very confident with a lot of people if i'm just like with one or two guys i'm a very different person than with 10 guys like i don't take the same uh, space in a group of trees and I take you know, in a group of 10 for sure like and I don't think I'm ever gonna be like very confident in uh, communication but uh, for sure that makes my life so much easier now to hear people without really like focusing and having a headache at the end of the day yeah and it connects to your phone you're saying earlier as well oh yeah yeah like well some weird stuff happened with these things like I hear noises that I didn't hear before, and sometimes I get really scared. Like, oh fuck, what was that? <laughs> but it was just like I don't know, like your shoe. Um, example: this is a swimming pool at home, and there's that noise that I always do when the the, the water is always like, you know, that noise is like. And once I pass in front of that with my hearing system. And that noise, I was like, fucking hell, like, something is broken for sure. So I go there and search for 15 minutes and then just realize that I have that on and it's just making a different noise. <laughs> it's super weird because it's like I hear stuff that I didn't hear before. Uh, and sometimes I get very scared of things like, you know, like, fuck, what's happening? Oh, that just a car 15 minutes away, but I felt <laughs> like I was, I was under it already. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, very different. Same with my phone, connects to my uh, to my hairs right away. So it's like, I look at a video and I press on, press on the on the sound and then boom, right away in my hairs and like, fuck, like what's <laughs> happening? Yeah, I need some time to get used to it again. They are much <laughs> different than the one I had when I was a kid. Oh yeah. 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 It was probably a bigger one as well when you were a kid. Yeah, it was a bit bigger, yeah. And it was also like covering this all place. Oh, yeah. So you had absolutely no natural sound coming into your ears. It was very weird. Yeah, because your brain, whenever you hear, if there's, if there's a few people talking, your brain's able to kind of cancel some people yeah, out, right? Yeah. Whereas if it's all just being amplified and yeah, given Yeah, that, that was also the case. These are much better everyone. now. But I also have an app, of course, on my phone. Yeah. Uh, like uh, we have an app for everything now. But I have an app for that as well. And uh, I can kind of like, if I'm facing someone and I don't want to hear like the rest of the people, I, 
I have that 360 wow. thing and I can put you can select who you want to yeah it's select real, like who I want to listen hearing. and who I don't want to listen <laughs> so who do you have always selected as not wanting to listen to oh, you have Joe don't so you have me set to never you can never hear what I'm saying <laughs> that would be pretty fun but see that that's oh, yeah. like that's so just to explain what's happening Thomas has an app on his phone that lets him control what he's able to hear it's a 360 degree image and he can select if he wants to hear in front of him or behind him that's cool that's adapting now to everything wow but if I want to forget the noises there I can just do so now I can only hear you ah. which is much better actually <laughs> <laughs> like that yeah okay before we wrap up did you uh did you have time to watch the film yet? Return to Heart? Yeah, I did, for sure. And um, th- what do you think once you watched it on screen? Well, the fact is, I had to wait so much to see what we film. And that was very annoying and also very nice. Because uh, usually, like, you you open your Instagram and you have, like, countless of writing clips. So you're like, okay, when you see writing, you just open your phone and you see it. And that we shot in February... And I had to wait until summer to see what we did. Like, I didn't see anything. I didn't know how it was looking. Just sometime I could see, like, that last shot, we we did it, like, 15 times. So so I could see some of, like, kind of how it was looking. But I had to wait a few months to see what we did. So, uh, obviously, I scroll all the film and went to Hawaii part first and then watch it but uh, yeah okay that's the part watch it 15 times make a break and then come back and watch the movie but, yeah. what, uh, what was your favorite segment in the film well the film kind of looked like an animal docu- documentary I like animals not these animals but uh, what was my favorite? Um, well, Hawaii, I think, because I I knew how much work it was and how it was made, and I don't know, bring back some good memories. Yeah, I like it watching that one. Of course, all the film and see what the writers who were in Hawaii did before and after. Brad segment in Utah was also something that I like. Yeah, okay. That's cool. What do you think? So that was, was that the first time you worked with Ant Hill? Uh, well, we did that in Switzerland. Yeah, but for the film though, right? Yeah, yeah. And what do you like working with the crew? I feel like I'm doing what I always dreamed to do. Uh, big, big movie, obviously contest, but uh, it's, I don't know, it's feel very, very natural to do all of that and the guys are all cool and we all want to have the best without like putting ourselves in bad positions so uh, all the guys understand what what it is to be like sending it or like crashing or like bad weather so we never really have like to to explain why you're not feeling like writing right now or not feeling like sending it right now or so they never really tell you what to do they just like Say okay, this is the place we want to film, and just do what you want. Yeah. Anything other? Anything else that you would like to get out that you don't feel like people fully absorb from your point of view that would be good to? 
Uh, not really. I mean, like, if you don't ask me a question, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you for coming down and doing a little interview again. Yeah, nice I'm going to go to Zach and see if he can fix my phone. Okay. All right, dude. Action! Stop. That was an interview recorded with Thomas Shannon during the making of the video for Bike Kingdom in Lenzerheide. Thanks to all the athletes and stars that helped with the cameos for the video. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth the watch. It was a lot of fun to make. It was just made a staff pick on Vimeo, and I'll include the links in the description. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Joe Osborne, and this is the Until Sunset podcast. <laughs>